Good evening to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. It's great to be back on the air, and what do you know, we're now into Season 5. Just last night, my wife and I were over at my folks' house having dinner, and one of my parents says to me, Kirk, have you ever thought about slowing down? And I thought to myself, well, there's nothing wrong with slowing down, but for how long? If you slow down for too long, then the audience is going to wonder to themselves, hey, when are we going to get that next big um, piece of uh, historical uh, learning? Well, the audience has to stay riveted, so this is my way of returning to you all the favor and saying that, hey, while, yes, we just recently finished up another uh, podcast series, being that one on the Edmund Fitzgerald, we're now into a new series, and what do you know? Our time machine is taking us back into the 18th century to really a period of time that is on the eve of revolution, and also it is during revolution, or should I say the American Revolution. So we're going to be discussing in Season 5 about a fella um, individual who has often been forgotten in the um, history books when it comes to the American Revolution. Can any, can any of you all out there take a, a wild guess on who this individual is? Now, I will tell you all this much. I didn't learn about this fella until probably about two years ago. So if you're wondering all this time, have I, Kirk Monroe, known about this man for a long time, I will confess to you right now, I didn't know about him until about a few years back. His name is Dr. Joseph Warren. And last year I read a book on him that we will be discussing in this podcast uh, series. The title of it is Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, The American Revolution's Lost Hero, written by Christian de Spigna. Sorry if I can't get my Italian right, but that's about as good of a pronunciation as you will get from me. <laughs> but Christian de Spigna did a wonderful job on this book. I can tell you that much right there. Well, really in a sense, uh, in, in order to understand doc, who Dr. Joseph Warren is, we've got to also understand how he came into... Um, how he came into being in terms of his uh, role uh, with the American Revolution. Now, I should also tell you all this, that, um, you know, when we think of the American Revolution, we often think of the year 1776. Why is that? Well, for starters, um, that's when um, Thomas Jefferson uh, writes the Declaration of Independence, and it's also at that same time when uh, Congress, or should I say that Second Continental Congress, is uh, meeting in Philadelphia. And, and ironically, it is that, that time when, this, when Congress, or as I said a moment ago, that Second Continental Congress comes together after nearly convening for a full year in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to officially declare independence from England. But I must say this, um, declaring independence just didn't uh, happen overnight. It was something that uh, Congress as a whole had to uh, work together, and obviously they had to uh, sort out the 56 men who would go about signing the Declaration of Independence had to work out many differences uh, in order for this uh, document um, to be um, 
brought forth by that famous committee of five, being not only just Jefferson himself, but John Adams, Roger, Roger Sherman, Robert uh, Livingston, and Benjamin Franklin. So, um, and just to give you all a little um, reminder about the Declaration of Independence, I probably mentioned to you all uh, from the book uh, that we did a few sessions back, uh, Signing Their Lives Away, about the fame and misfortune of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Let's all remember that July 2nd of 1776 was when Congress approved the motion to separate from England, but it wasn't until two days later, on July 4th, that it was on that day that it became the official day which which Congress approved of that Declaration of Independence. So, in other words, not everything happened on one day. Of course, the paintings sometimes would like... uh, Paintings, or should I say portraits, of of that um, famous event often like to um, assure the American people that everybody just convened happily and peacefully on that day, Um, especially when you have um, 50-some-odd men in the background and you see the five men being Jefferson, Adams, Sherman, Livingston, and Franklin all up on the podium. Uh, That's not how it worked, but but I I can tell you this. In that famous portrait, the message is that everybody has become fully unified after weeks and months of uh, deliberation. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Was Dr. Joseph Warren alive in 1776 to witness the improbable, that is, being Congress officially declaring its separation from England? The answer is no. Well, where is Dr. Warren? Well, I hate to tell you all this, but Dr. Joseph Warren was killed at the Battle of Bunker Hill uh, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, a year earlier, in, on June 17th of 1775. Now, many of you all are wondering here, then, if Dr. Joseph Warren died a year before the Declaration of Independence was signed, then how does he stand out as truly being considered as being one of the American Revolution's greatest lost heroes? Well, I'll answer that question for you all here in just a moment. But in order, um, but let's ask, let's find out about this question. What were some major events that that occurred or led up to the Second Continental Congress's gathering in May of 1775? Well, for those of you who weren't um, a part of that podcast series um, of signing their lives away, the fame and misfortune of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, remember the First Continental Congress convened in 1774 and one of their biggest resolutions achieved was that not, were the non-importation agreements. In other words, the 13 colonies came together, I think with the exception though of Georgia. Georgia did not send any, that's right, Georgia did not send any uh, delegates to that First Continental Congress. And in case any of you all who are from Georgia who are listening in or just in general didn't know why Georgia uh, did not send delegates, it's because Georgia, being being the most remote of all 13 colonies, was in the middle of fighting a war against the Creek Indian Nation. So if, if you are fighting a war against, in, against a, an Indian nation, who are you going to turn to for assistance? England. 
if you're not going to need, if you're not going to choose to have England for assistance, then England obviously knows that you're in rebellion, just like um, Virginia and Massachusetts are. But anyways, that first Continental Congress, the other 12 colonies came together to agree on a non-importation agreement. That, in other words, they were not going to um, allow for any British goods to come into um, America, or should I say colonial America, but by this time, it's really more about America. So we come to um, the eve of May 1775 when the Second Continental Congress convenes, and before they convened, the First Continental Congress all of those members who were there came to an agreement by saying that, hey, we will reconvene the following May if uh, further resolutions cannot be met. Well, what do you know? Parliament passes in 1774 those coercive acts, or what we call the intolerable acts. Basically, they were um, a series of measures to, pun to further punish the people of Boston, Massachusetts, most notably the Port Act, which closed the entire port of Boston, pretty much shutting down everybody's uh, livelihood. Well, where does, where does business resume in Massachusetts? Well, Parliament agreed to have Salem, which is north of uh, Boston, become uh, the official uh, port hub for all uh, goods coming in and out of uh, Massachusetts. So this is a uh, real, um, what I call, um, a stab in the back to Boston. Not just a stab in the back, but a further insult. So as for um, other events that lead up to the Second Continental Congress's gathering in May of 1775, you have that famous Boston Massacre from 1770. The Boston Tea Party from 1773, where hundreds of um, chests of that East India tea were dumped into the Charles River. To Paul Revere's Midnight Ride from April of 1775. And if those of you who um, have thought for years that Paul Revere um, did his ride in one night where he said, Oh, the British are coming. I've got news to tell you, um, there are a lot of half-truths to it. In other words, Paul Revere um, warned people um, on more than one occasion, and of course they heeded his warnings, but it was a network of men, most notably from that famous Sons of Liberty movement, who went about warning uh, the towns at large about the British presence. And what do you know? Um, the all the towns were able to muster their militias into play whom would stand up and not be intimidated by the British, especially come April uh, 19th of 1775. And why is that date important? Because that's the day when um, that famous saying years later um, in a poet, in a poem written by Ralph Waldo Emerson that was titled, The Shots Heard Round the World at Lexington and Concord. Basically, um, the years leading up to 1776 do bear significant relevance, in case any of you all have forgotten or um, need to be reminded of why we are, um, why we are um, reshifting gears here um, and focusing on the years just before 1776. Now, I will say this too, that while there are many books that have been written about the Boston Massacre, 
as well as the Boston Tea Party, to Paul Revere's famous Midnight Ride. What do all of these events have in common? Well, the writers who have written um, books about these events have most of them have failed to mention about Dr. Joseph Warren's significance. So while the writers have focused on Paul Revere, Sam Adams, John Hancock, which are, which which is great, they have forgotten about Dr. Joseph Warren. Well, this leads me to ask you all this question. When did jo- when did Dr. Joseph Warren emerge on onto the political scene? During the mid-1760s, at a time when Massachusetts had already become the epicenter for political, social, and economic unrest. Dr. Warren himself established and led multiple clubs and organizations which made him a ubiquitous and valuable leader. Does anybody know what ubiquitous means? It means visible. You're seen everywhere, big and small. Well, that's who Dr. Joseph Warren was. I think it's safe to say that Dr. Warren didn't miss out on anything. Dr. Warren himself was also an author, an orator, a professor, and ultimately a major general to being a doctor, mentor, and spy master. He served as president of the Massachusetts Provincial Congress. He was the leader of Boston's uh, community Committee of Correspondence, as well as the North End Caucus, to chairman of the Massachusetts Committee of Safety. Well, this man has a very, very uh, impeccable um, record, a record that cannot be diminished nor tarnished, to say the least. Dr. Warren was perhaps the youngest of most of Boston's radical leaders in that famous Sons of Liberty organization. He was a shrewd organizer whose unique talents helped galvanize Whig forces in Massachusetts. And just so that you all know, by this time in the 1770s and even uh, before then in the 1760s, most notably after the French and Indian War has ended, and this is about the time after the war, that war has ended where Parliament, being their Treasury Department, is completely drained of money, decides that, well, the best way to regain uh, revenue into our system would be to ask the 13 colonies to help pay for the costs of the war. Well, here's the problem. It's one thing to ask your subjects, being the 13 colonies, to pay for something, The problem is that there was no proper representation in Parliament to approve of that direct consent. And there was a famous piece of legislation that we all know, or ought to know, being that infamous Stamp Act of 1765. And once it was passed, it enraged the colonists, most notably the people of Boston, to where the rally cry of taxation without representation came into play. So, if you are an ardent opponent of taxation without representation, or of anything that Parliament passes without the consent of the colonists, you are going to be a Whig. If you are in support of the Crown and remain very loyal to the King and to Parliament, 
and to everything the British stand for in terms of treating the colonists, even if you know it doesn't bother you for one split second, you are considered a Tory, or in this case a loyalist, but the opposite of Whig is a Tory. A Tory would be an ardent supporter uh, to the crown. While other Whig leaders like Paul Revere, Sam Adams, and John Hancock worked more behind closed doors, which there was nothing wrong with doing, Dr. Joseph Warren always remained visible to the greater public. And we're going to find out in a moment um, if that's all good or if it's a combination of both good and bad. But in Massachusetts before 1776, who was considered to be the most serious threat to the king's army? You know, most people would say the Sons of Liberty as a whole, and that's a good guess. But it's actually one individual who is actually considered to be the most serious threat to the king's army. It's none other than Dr. Joseph Warren himself. He was the only Bay Colony Whig statesman in charge of major political, social, and military organizations who also went about fighting on the battlefield. He never sought safety nor abandoned the cause for independence when tensions with, Briti with British forces especially after they had occupied Boston, more than often would erupt into violence. Okay, and for those of you who are wondering, how long have British forces been in Boston? Well, I'll give you a hint. Um, they've been in Boston since 1768. That is two years before uh, the Boston Massacre itself took place. So this has given Dr. Joseph Warren enough time to... Um, speak before the public, uh, and that is at uh, church gatherings, at town hall meetings. And while he is speaking at those meetings, British soldiers or members of the loyalist community are watching him. They are monitoring him. They know who he is, but they also know what a threat he poses to the safety of those who swear their allegiance to the crown. I don't know if I can make a full-blown comparison, but when I think of someone who is a martyr, I often think of Jesus Christ himself, our, um, our Savior. Jesus, not to get off track here, but let's all remember this. One of the reasons why, the, why many Jews don't accept Jesus as a true Messiah is because Jesus did not arrive on a chariot. In other words, he did not come on a chariot in a full uh, top-of-the-line robe with a crown. He was just an everyday, ordinary person who associated himself with people from all walks of life, especially those who could not um, have a say in government. And of course, as Jesus um, performed miracles left and right... This did upset the Roman Empire. It upset the Pharisees and anybody above him who basically did not uh, share his um, fellowship. And of course, as we all know, Jesus met a terrible death. I'm beginning to wonder if Dr. Joseph Warren could meet a death somewhat similar to Jesus Christ. 
I would hope not. And I would hope for those of you in the audience, I, I'm sure many of you all are wondering the same thing. Who would want this man dead? Yes, there are people within the British uh, military who would have wanted him dead. But would they have wanted him dead in the same way that Jesus himself was uh, persecuted? But anyways, back to uh, the primary focal point here. But nonetheless, it is very important to make a comparison. I should tell you all this, that, uh, that author Christian de Spigna had a lot of um, primary reasons for writing this book. One of his primary purposes was to resurrect a forgotten hero whose legacy and accomplishments helped lay the beginning foundations for achieving independence from England. So many of you all are wondering, okay, well, where's George Washington now? Wasn't he the commander of the Continental Army? Yes, he was. But prior to July of 1775, George Washington has not been actually named the commander of the Continental Army by the Second Continental Congress. Who's in charge of the makeshift Continental Army? Most notably, um, especially within the time frame of April to June of 1775. Remember, folks, in April of 1775, most notably on April 19th, you have the battles of Lexington and Concord, the shots heard around the world. Then there, there's no military action for about 60 days after. We forward to June uh, 17th, 1775. Well, Dr. Joseph Warren is the makeshift interim commander, or at this time the, the only known available commander to lead the Continental Army. So before George Washington, it is Dr. Warren who is the most formidable leader behind rallying troops to engage um, into head-to-head -head, head -head combat with British forces. And it's not until about the spring of 1775 that Dr. Warren's martyrdom increases significantly. That is, his, his radical beliefs, his actions, and his hostilities towards England, not just England, but amongst King George III, Parliament, the British Army, all of this increases, and it not just increases in Massachusetts, but tension amongst the other colonies increases um, against England. Think about it. It wasn't until 1773 when Parliament passed that Quebec Act, which stripped many well-to-do Virginians of their land holdings in the Ohio Valley and in lands, land holdings around the Great Lakes regions. And once that was taken from prominent Virginians like George Washington, they no longer, George Washington and other Virginians no longer felt a true allegiance to um, England. So by this point in time, people, everybody's starting to feel the um, effects of Parliament's uh, hostilities, not so much towards the people of Massachusetts, but now to the people of Virginia and elsewhere up and down um, the eastern seaboard. That's not to say we still will have our share of loyalists who will remain fervently loyal to the crown, but the bottom line is, is that there is a strong majority of colonists who are beginning to bear um, resentment and hostility towards um, England. But, but there is one man, though, that we have to thank for really 
laying out the seeds of this um, open face um, confrontation for independence is none other than Dr. Joseph Warren himself. Here's another bonus question. Was the American Revolution itself confined to just the time frame of 1776 to 1783? Well, as I said earlier, and I'll say it again, the answer is no. Prior to 1776, the colonists had already begun voicing their opposition to British propaganda by doing so through a variety of means. The press, or should I say via newspapers, the pulpits, through church or town hall meetings, to the streets, to port towns, to cities. So in other words, the, the colonists in all 13 colonies have, have found multiple ways to voice their opposition towards England and how the Crown and Parliament are treating her 13 subjects. As for the people of Boston, or should I say the Bostonians, it was all about the fundamental rights to self-govern, including proper forms of representation and consent among all governing um, bodies working side by side. In other words, with all governing bodies working side by side, there is proper consent, there is proper representation, and, proper, uh, and a proper channel through making compromises to passing laws where it required the consent of the people. No more taxation without representation. Would Dr. Warren become an icon of military heroism? The answer is yes. He knew how to lead his men into battle and prepare them for whatever lied ahead, which would become ever so true on June 17, 1775, a.k.a. the Battle of Bunker Hill. Other areas that, uh, that author Christian D. Spigna has, has focused on in this book are Dr. Warren's personal life, his family and childhood, as well as the years at Harvard to apprenticing with Dr. James Lloyd, to his adult years, and to his leading role as a combatant at Bunker Hill. If any of you all are wondering why I did not say Harvard, but said Harvard instead, is because a true New Englander calls that fine Ivy League institution Harvard. So just remember that whenever you all are up in Massachusetts, if you're not from New England, remember to say Harvard and not Harvard. It just sounds more professional to say Harvard. Well, as for Dr. Joseph Warren, he was a very brilliant thinker, but he was a, also a very independent one, whom rose to great heights of power within the Whig faction. He fought in the early stages of the Revolutionary War, to having a ubiquitous presence wherever he went. Sadly, Dr. Warren had his life cut short before all 13 colonies came together in officially declaring their separation from England. Had Dr. Warren not died on the battlefield at Bunker Hill in June of 1775, his stature would have carried him to Philadelphia and beyond. Well, what do you mean by carrying him to Philadelphia? Well, I do believe that Dr. Warren would have 
been perhaps the sixth delegate who would have gone to um, Philadelphia representing Massachusetts in signing the Declaration of Independence. Not that the five men who signed the Declaration of Independence from Massachusetts were a pivotal. Those five men were. But to have a sixth man like Dr. Joseph Warren coming along, oh, I can only imagine what um, his um, significance or his uh, role of prominence would have played. This is a man, sadly, who was cut down uh, in his prime. He had so many more years left to live. But for a brief period of time, his uh, contributions were lasting. They were of significant importance. This man, um, before Thomas Jefferson and George Washington made their presence known, Dr. Joseph Warren was the one planting the seeds. And if, and if it hadn't been for him, I'm not sure who would have been willing to have stepped out of the, out of the proper boundary lines to have been visible on a constant presence. Sure, Paul Revere could have done it, but Paul Revere also wanted to um, make sure that he wasn't visible all the time because he knew that the Sons of Liberty were being watched constantly. And in the aftermath of one of their um, colleagues betraying them, of course, he never, Revere himself never knew who betrayed um, the rest of the group. For Revere himself, he did not want to be seen visible to the point where he knew that um, perhaps his life could have been um, risked. Dr. Joseph Warren was not afraid to take that chance. And I think it's fair to say that Dr. Warren himself died so that we all could live in freedom, not just those who fought at Bunker Hill but for those who fought in every other major battle of the American Revolution. Dr. Warren, given that he was in command of the army at Bunker Hill, he died for them. And because he died for them, he probably made that group of men a better unit. Well, folks, we have covered a lot for this, um, for this what I call, um, prologue introduction to founding martyr, the life and death of Dr. Joseph Warren, the American Revolution's lost hero, written by Christian D. Spigna. And I look forward to sharing with you all more information about Dr. Warren, because we're going to have a great series ahead of us, and all of us are going to be bound to learn so many things left and right about this man, who truly did lay the foundations for what we have today. That is freedom, not just freedom by itself, but perhaps many other freedoms, free speech, free press, the right to assemble and petition, and some other, perhaps other unique freedoms, but most notably that right to have free speech. So without him, who knows who would have been that one to have um, been at the forefront. Thank you and good night and uh, God bless.